Good evening and welcome again here to Sunday night service at Moody Church. It's great to have you worshiping and joining us tonight. There's a, an episode of the TV show, The Office, where the typically soft-spoken and mild-mannered Stanley gets all upset at the boss, Michael. A issue had happened earlier. Michael's punishment for it was he fake fired Stanley in front of his whole co-workers, which is obviously a bad idea, to which Stanley just starts to unload on Michael, his boss, and tell him what he thinks about how he runs things. Uh, he, he just tells him, well, you're the authority over me, but this is what I think of you. And there's one line near kind of the culmination of this outpouring that he has, where he says, the things you say, your actions, your methods, your style, everything you would do, I would do it the opposite way, right? He, he was having this problem with the authority in his life because he didn't see eye to eye. In fact, he said, no, I see things entirely different than you. And it made a lot of tension in his life and a lot of tension in their relationship. That phrase that Stanley said, everything that you do, I would do it a different way is how some of us may feel towards certain authorities in our lives, including politicians, including government authorities. We don't like their actions, their methods, their style. In fact, we wouldn't do anything like how they did. And the problem with that, the difficulty that arises from that is then how do we treat our governing officials even if we disagree with them, even if we would do things entirely different from them. See, oftentimes as humans, we struggle with our relationship with authority. And this is certainly no different to our relationship to those in political authority over us. Lots of this is because what we talked about last week, that we've often made an idol out of politics. And so, and so submitting and doing the things that the Bible calls us to, to these authorities is a challenging thing. And so tonight we are going to ask this question. We are on Sunday. The election is in two days. Hopefully soon we will know who the winner of the election is and the next president of our country is. Today we're going to ask this question ourselves. How should the Christian respond to whoever wins? And we are covering this tonight for a very specific reason. And then this, it doesn't matter who wins on Tuesday for how we should live our lives. See, as followers of Jesus, how we live, how we respond to the election, our attitudes towards governing authorities does not depend on who wins, but on what God says. It doesn't depend on who wins, but on what God says. And this is such a challenge for us to let our faith inform our politics because it's natural for us to make our politics inform everything else about our lives. But if we want to follow Jesus, like how he's called us to, what God says must come first. And we must learn what God says about how we should respond to this upcoming week where maybe the person we want to wins, maybe they don't. So how should we respond? What actions should we have? So now we're going to look at three actions that the Christian must have towards the next president. And the first is this, that we are to submit. 
that God has called us to submit to the next leader. It says this in Romans chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. That word subject in many translations is let every person submit. It's the same idea, but considering oneself under someone else. So you should subject, submit yourself to the governing authorities. Well, why, why should we do that, Paul? Why should I submit my life to the government over me? first reason for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. So we're to submit recognizing that the authorities that are in place are not there by accident, but it actually falls under the sovereign plan of God. Verse two, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God himself has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment, not just on this earth, but on and times judgment, we're, we're, we're not obeying God when we're resisting the authority that he's placed over our lives. Verse three, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God. The governing authorities are the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, kind of summarizing what he's just said, one must be in subjection, in submission to them, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Now, now why does Paul like make this pivot, right? He's talking about submitting to the governing authorities. Remember, this is the book of Romans. He's writing it to people in Rome, all right? That's where the emperor lived, the, the seat of the known governing world. Why does he then kind of transition to this idea of taxes? Well, the Roman historian Tacitus tells us that in the 8050s, there was a tax revolt amongst the people in Rome. And that shortly after when we think the book of Romans was written, there was actually a revolt in the Roman empire against people having to pay their taxes. And kind of why Paul brings this to bear is he's saying, hey, I know what's going on there. The people are like, no, we don't have to pay taxes. And he's going, yeah, actually we do. We do pay our taxes. Why? Because that's the authorities that God has placed over our lives. Our attitude is to be one of submission to them. Paul isn't the only one who picks up on this idea of submitting to government authorities. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, be subject, the exact same word, right? Submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme in our context, you can think of the president, right, as supreme, or to the governors as those sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So submission to the, the rulers over the large country, the larger areas that we live in, then even he gets down to the specifics, the governors are the more local authorities and local governments over us. So our posture is to be one of submission. Now, what does it mean to submit to the government? What, what does this mean? 
One, one uh, commentator put it this way. It's to recognize one's subordinate place in an, heart, in an hierarchy, to acknowledge as a general rule that certain people or institutions have authority over us. See, just because we have freedom in Christ, we still have authority in our lives that God has placed over us. And as followers of Jesus, we still have governing authorities that are over our lives. And so we are called to submit to them. It's to be our normative stance towards the government. Now, this does not mean this attitude of submission is not one of just a blind obedience. It's not, I'm going to do whatever the government tells me, no matter what, without any thinking or thoughtfulness or prayer about it. I mean, if you think about it, this, this word submit is used several times throughout the New Testament to talk about people who are in different relationships with authority. Right? So a slave was told to submit to their master. But if the master started to tell the slave, we well, need to go kill someone for me, the slave would then say, well, no, that's not what submission looks like. Right? It says that those of us who go to a church are to submit to our church leaders, to our spiritual authorities. But if those authorities start preaching a false gospel, we're not just to sit back and take it and do whatever they say. No, we should push against that. So this idea of submission is it's the general posture of our lives towards the authorities over us. Now, we love, though, in Romans 13 to get to this question, right? Are there ever exceptions to this? Are there ever exceptions? When is it all right for civil disobedience? And the answer is yes. In Scripture, there are two kind of cases that are modeled for us where there are exceptions to this rule. The first exception is this, is when you are commanded to do something that God forbids, right? We, we should not submit to government. We should not follow government when government commands us to do something that God would command us to forbid. This is seen several times in scripture. In the book of Exodus, the people of Israel were told that they had to kill their firstborn sons. And so when Moses's life is saved and he's put out to float in the Nile River, that's an act of disobedience to the government. But it's an act of obedience to God. In the Babylonian Empire, when three boys who were renamed into the Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were told that you have to bow down and worship the graven image, they refuse. Why? Because they were commanded to do something, but they refused because God had forbidden the bowing down, the worshiping of anything other than him. So if government were to command us to do something that God's law clearly forbids, then we in our good conscience would say, no, we won't submit to that. Secondly is also this though, when we are forbidden to do something that God commands. When we are forbidden to do something that God commands. Again, in this time of the Babylonian empire, we could think of Daniel, where the law was passed that no one could pray to any other God besides the emperor. But Daniel continues to pray, right? He continues to pray to God because he's not going to stop praying even if the government forbids him. In the book of Acts, the apostles are told by the governing rulers, you have to stop preaching this gospel, to which they reply, well, we're, we're going to obey God rather than man. So when government forbids us to do something God commands, we have the rights and the responsibility of not following that. Now, when we, when we uh, 
disagree, excuse me, we will disagree over when these exceptions arise, right? We will disagree because these are matters of discernment and wisdom and judgment. So they need to be done in grace and humility towards one another. But here's the problem that often arises when we talk about passages like 1 Peter 2 and Romans 13 and submission to government. We love to skip so quick to the exceptions that we miss the general rule and principle, which is this, that you are called to submit. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to submit to the authorities that he has instituted over our lives. Meaning that no matter who wins the election this week, our response as a faithful follower, not of a political party or official or even as a citizen of this country, our response as a faithful follower of Jesus is an attitude of submission to whoever is the next president. Don't become so focused on finding exceptions to this that we miss the main points. See, we could try and push back against this. Well, I I didn't vote for them. I don't like them. I don't approve of their character. I don't approve of their policies. I would never want to live in a country. Whatever you can find that says, well, I I don't want to do this. I don't, guess what? The general posture of our hearts is to be submissive to the authorities that God has placed over them. And that may be a struggle for some of us. We don't see that modeled in the world who will say, well, that's not my president. I didn't vote for that person. As followers of Jesus, we can say, listen, even if I didn't vote for them, God has still instituted authority in my life. And our attitude of submission is a way we live out this truth that how we live doesn't depend on who wins on Tuesday, but on what God says. So the first action that we must have towards the next president is one of submission. We are to submit. The second is this, that we are called to pray. That you and I are called to pray for whoever is the next president. It says this in 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Now, that's three different words. There's supplication, prayers, and thanksgivings. He's not necessarily trying to think of like different categories of prayer, but he's using here three kind of broad terms that describe kind of a holistic prayer life of the Christian that these prayers should be made first for all people. And then he specifies it for kings and for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Interesting, isn't it? Though, that He specifically makes sure to mention how political rulers, kings and those in high positions, that would be in high government positions, are those who are specifically mentioned in scripture, who are deserving and need of our prayers. And so how do we react to the results of the election this week? Will we submit to whoever is the next president? And secondly, we need to commit ourselves to praying for them, to praying for the next president. Now the question is, so so what does that look like? What does that look like? Well, just in recent events within the last month or so, I saw this in such a sharp contrast on a positive and a negative light. So just about a month ago, our current president, um, President Trump, announced that he had, um, he had contracted COVID, right? Had tested positive for COVID, him and, him and his wife. 
And so I was uh, scrolling through Twitter, uh, mostly other Christian leaders and pastors that I follow on Twitter. I noticed the large majority of them had posted something very kind, very gracious. I'm praying for a full recovery of health for our president. Some would say that some prayed that I'm praying that, that God would use this to draw him to himself. Others pray that this would help our president to be able to lead with greater leadership and empathy for the people of this country. There are very, very thoughtful, well put things that we should be praying towards our government officials. But then I made the mistake, even though I knew what I was doing, I clicked on the little button where you see all the people replying to the tweet. All the people's comments back to these well-known Christian leaders and pastors praying for our president. And the response to most of them just made me sad. It made me sad. So many of the responses, some of them were simply, how about no? Or how about I not? There literally were places where people are writing, my prayer for him is that he dies so we can get someone else. Now, I have no idea the mention of those people's hearts. I have no idea if they're actually a follower of Jesus or if they're thinking they're just trying to be sarcastic or funny. But besides all joking, behind all joking, there's elements of truth. And I think that, that the call to pray for people will be like, oh, I'll pray for them, all right but I'm going to figure out what I'm going to pray for. I'll tell you what I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that they get disqualified and I can get a new president real quick. See, that's not the attitude. That's not the kind of prayers that God wants us praying for our next president. You might say, but, but I don't agree with this person. I don't agree with them. You don't have to agree with someone to pray for them. See, you don't have to like them. You don't have to have voted for them to pray for them. This is a command to you and I as followers of Jesus to pray for the people that God has put in authority in our lives, whether we chose them or not, whether we like them or not. So why do we need to pray? I think it's, it's a reminder to us that first, prayer matters. Prayer changes things. The Christian's responsibility towards, as a good citizen, not only of heaven, of course, but a citizen of this country, our responsibility is to much more than just to be kind, to be loving, and to vote. But, but what if we reminded ourselves that when we read scripture, prayer is powerful and effective. Prayer changes things. What if we committed ourselves to praying for our president? for our governor, for our mayor, for our Senate, for, for our leaders? What if we are as passionate about praying for them as we were as passionate about certain people getting elected? I think our country, I think our world would look a little bit different if we were as committed to praying for whoever got elected as we were committed to a certain candidate that we wanted to get into office. See, prayer can change our country. Prayer can change our leaders. Prayer makes a difference. But prayer not only changes those out there. When we pray, prayer also changes us. Prayer changes our hearts and our lives. See, it's, it's hard to hate someone you pray for regularly. I don't know. Maybe it's possible. But it's pretty stinking hard. It's hard to hate someone that you are praying for regularly. 
And so I want to really encourage you with this. If the person that you are hoping gets elected wins this next week, it's not going to be too hard for you probably to pray. But for those of us who vote and the person that we vote for doesn't get elected, man, it might be even more important for us to pray. Because in prayer, God starts to shape and mold our own hearts. He changes our own lives. So no matter who wins, that doesn't change how we live. We are to be people who pray for our leaders, who pray for the next president. So start now. Start tonight. Pray for each of the candidates. Pray today for them. Pray for our country and the response to the election. Pray for our church in the midst of this political season in which we find ourselves, as we talked about two weeks ago, that there would be unity amongst all the division that we experience in our world. So we're to be people of prayer because how we live does not depend on who wins, but on what God says. So how should we act to the next president? First, submit. Second, we need to pray. Third is we need to have honor towards them. We are to honor whoever is the next president. Back to the passage in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says this, honor everyone. All right, so this is kind of a general overview. Everyone's deserving of honor. Love the brotherhood, this affectionate love inside the body of Christ. Fear God, a kind of allegiance, a reverence towards God alone. But then honor the emperor. Honor, esteem, hold in high regard the emperor. Huh. Romans chapter 13, right after that passage on paying taxes, said this, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to them, those to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Meaning this kind of the, the assumption here is you owe taxes and revenue to the government. You also owe your respect and your honor to them as well. See, our normative action as followers of Jesus is submission, but our permanent attitude, our permanent attitude is honoring them. There's no exceptions to this rule. There's no like, unless this happens, then you can throw this part Uh, No, this is always to be true of our lives. So how do we do this? What does it look like for a follower of Jesus to honor the next president? Well, easily we can just go back to the two things we just talked about. We honor them by submitting and by praying for them. But I also want us to think of another way that we can honor the next president. And that is with our speech, with our speech. The things that have been said when President Obama was president about him were horrible. The things that have been said publicly and on social media about our current president, President Trump, have been awful. They've been rude. They've been insensitive. But for the follower of Jesus, get this, when we are disrespectful, when we're rude, when we have harsh comments that are insensitive about our political leaders, whether we agree with them or not, it's not just inappropriate. It's not just rude. It is sinful. It's sinful because you're breaking a command that God has given to you to honor the authority that he has placed over our lives. The way politicians talk 
shouldn't change how we talk about them. Because our attitudes, how we live, isn't shaped on them. It's shaped on what God says. And if God says we're to honor them, we are to honor them even if the world around us doesn't honor them. Even if they them sometimes themselves act dishonorably, we are still to hold them with honor because that's what Jesus calls us to do. And so often our conversations too often mimic the political climate rather than mimicking Jesus. Now you may say, okay, honor, honor, but, but, but I'm looking at who it might be. And it, that, that could be very, very difficult. Are, are we sure? Are we sure that if in these passages we looked at in Romans 13, if, if Paul lived today, if in 1 Peter 2, when Peter lived, are we sure that this would apply, that they would say the same thing today? Or is this one of those commands that was like, well, that was for them back then, but today we don't have to do this. Well, let's think of the political rulers that were alive and reigning during the time of Paul and the time of Peter. When they would have been very young, perhaps before either of them were born, Herod the Great, in looking for Jesus, murdered all the children in Bethlehem. Hmm, what a great example of a government official. Herod Antipas, we know, beheaded John the Baptist as a prize for a good dance. And then he put a purple, mo- a purple robe and crown on Jesus' head and mocked him as he handed him over to the Roman authorities. Of course, Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea who didn't stand up for what was right, even condemned an innocent man, Jesus, to death, even though he knew he had done no wrong. And then there is the man who is the emperor in Rome, literally mentioned by name there in Romans chapter 13, the emperor that they all would have known who Paul is talking about, a guy you probably have heard of named Nero. Nero, who at 17 years old became the emperor. He then killed his adopted dad, most likely had his mom do it to make him the emperor. The next year, out of a threat, had his stepbrother killed because his mom was maneuvering to have him replaced. So had his own family member killed. As if that wasn't enough, a few years later in AD 59, had his own mother executed because he felt she was a threat to his career. Three years later, he had his wife executed because he felt she was becoming a threat. A man who openly would sleep with high-ranking officials' wives and would kill off multiple members of the Roman government and Senate because he felt like they were becoming a threat to his position. Who ultimately burnt Rome, remember, and blamed it on the Christians. This is the man that Peter and Paul are addressing when they say, honor, submit, pray for that. See, just because we live in a divisive political climate, it doesn't change the commands that God has towards us. We are to honor them not because of who they are or what they say. We're to honor them because of what God says to us. See, the reality is this. God uses imperfect people in an imperfect government to accomplish his perfect purposes. God uses imperfect people in an imperfect government to accomplish his perfect purposes. And so whatever happens this week, whatever goes on, our response as followers of Jesus, how we live should be the same. 
See, it's interesting when you look at the polls and even the diversity of our church, which is one of the beautiful things about the, the diversity in every single way of the body of Christ that Jesus has brought here. There's a good chance that many of you who are watching tonight, if the results are able to come out this week, will be very excited about who the next president is. There's a good chance that many of you who are watching and worshiping with us tonight will be very disappointed with results. And there's a good chance that some of you will be disappointed with whoever wins because you, you don't want either one. You're sad about the whole thing. No matter how you view it, no matter if you want this person, this person, or you don't want either, how you live this week doesn't change. It shouldn't change versus last year. It shouldn't change versus how we lived last election or eight years ago or how we will live next election. Because how we live does not depend on what, on what, on who wins, sorry, but on what God says. How we live does not depend this week on who wins the election, but on what God says. And in a world that is sown with division, with selfishness, with all that's going out there, the followers of Jesus who live their lives with this truth, who live out what God says this week, submitting, praying, honoring, that's a radical witness to our world that does the opposite that wants the worst for their political enemy, that will dishonor and will consider prideful and push away if their person is not elected. So we do this because it's what God says. And we do this counterculture to elevate God's glory in our world. We have the chance, Moody Church, this week to be witnesses to the gospel, living out all of what God has said by not allowing our lives to depend and be so factored in on who wins, but to base how we live on what God says. God, we do thank you that your word addresses such practical issues in our lives. God, and as we look forward to this week, some of us maybe with some fear, with some concern, with some confusion, with some hesitation. God, we thank you that, that we enter this week knowing that you're in control that you rule over all things and that your plan for us is still the same. God, help our response this week to whatever happens. Be countercultural, to be true to what your word says. And may Jesus be honored and glorified through our lives and through our witness this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.